Our text this afternoon, I direct your attention to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, we have been wading through this portion a few Sunday afternoons. And we want to revisit this psalm. And we're going to begin reading from verse 25. And let's go to verse 43. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and its sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nation, so that those who had hated them ruled over them. Their enemies, op- <coughs> sorry, <coughs> their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low because of their iniquity. We have been seeing from the psalm the theme of Israel's persistent rebellion against the Lord. From the time they were in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, under bondage to Pharaoh, right throughout their years of wandering in the wilderness. Last time we were in this psalm, we discussed their attitude of rebellion as seen in their defiance of God's servants, Moses and Aaron, verses 16 to 23. We also consider their rebellion as expressed by their disparagement of God's good gift. Verse 24, they despised the pleasant land. And of course, God reached a point where he said he would destroy them. And of course, we looked at that account of Moses interceding for the nation. And today, we begin by considering thirdly that Israel's rebellion against God was marked by disgruntlement. We read in verse 25a, they murmured in their tents, enlarging on this disgruntled spirit of the people. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, Moses records there, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Of course, this relates to the occasion when the men, the majority report, they came back, they had gone to view the land, to spy the land of Canaan, and they brought back a negative, discouraging report to the effect that Israel wasn't able to conquer the land because of giants there in the land. And such was the spoiling, contaminating effect that the bad report of the majority, the ten unbelieving spies had on the congregation, that the congregation of Israel went into panic mode and began to murmur and complain. We see here how that it took the fear of just a few, the fear, the faithlessness of just a few, the ten unbelieving spies to induce the entire congregation to murmur and complain. And we see here something of how infectious fear and doubt can be. You see, the thing about doubt and fear is that it not only contaminates the one who harbors it, but it contaminates, it defiles those with whom they are thrown. And we have to watch that spirit of disgruntlement, the spirit of complaining. But fourthly, Israel's rebellion against the Lord was evidenced by disobedience. It was evidenced by disobedience. We read in the B part of verse 25, and did not obey the voice of the Lord. They murmured, they were disgruntled against the Lord, and verse 25b adds, they did not obey the voice of the Lord. What I want for us to notice here is this. Notice how that disgruntlement, disgruntlement, murmuring is linked to disobedience to God. And somebody will ask the question, well, how is murmuring, how is a spirit of discontent, of disgruntlement, an act of disobedience to God? And the answer simply is this. This is necessarily so because when we're given to murmuring and complaining, when we're given to whining and disgruntlement, we are not being obedient to the word of God. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18 expressly commands, and here's God's command. The command to us is this, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A complaining person, a murmuring person, first of all, is going to be a joyless person. A complaining person, a murmuring person, is going to be a prayerless person. And a complaining, murmuring person is going to be a person of ingratitude. A disgruntled spirit signals a refusal to acknowledge the goodness, the wisdom, and providence of God in whose hands lie our well-being. So in verses 24 and 25, we see the various manifestations of rebellion against God. Rebellion against the Lord, first of all, is marked by disparagement of God's gift, where we actually set little store by it. The Bible says they despised the pleasant land. How did they despise it? They lacked faith in God. They lacked the courage to take God as his word, to go and take the land as God had promised them. 
Rebellion against God is not only marked by disparagement of God's gift, but it is marked by disbelief. It is marked by disgruntlement. It is marked by disobedience. Rebellion against God is marked by, here it comes, failure to refuse to heed. It is a refusal to heed to act on the known, revealed word of God. And as a result of Israel's continued and persistent rebellion against the Lord, notice as a lack of their faith, their, as a result of their lack of faith, their murmuring against God, their refusal to act on the word of God. The psalmist says there in verses 26 and 27, Therefore he, God, raised his hand, and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. It's a euphemistic way of saying God would wipe them off in the wilderness. Notice here, God raised his hand not as a sign of blessing, but as a token of his threatened wrath, of his judgment against them. And this judgment he did carry into effect because we know, based on the history that the word of God gives us, only two persons actually enter the land of Canaan, namely Joshua and Caleb. All because the nation... First of all, beginning with the ten spies, brought back a bad report, a negative report on spying the land. Instead of encouraging the people, they weakened and discouraged their peop the people. How awful a thing it is when the Lord raises his hand of wrath and judgment. And how serious a thing it is when God does that how serious a thing God regards the sin of murmuring, the sin of complaining. Now, it's one of those sins, you see, it's one of those sins, it's very subtle. Because it has to do with the temperament, persons can easily say, they can easily conclude, well, constitutionally, that's how I am. I tend to be a warrior, I tend to be a person who not really satisfied, not really satisfied. As Erwin Lutz soberingly comments, he says this, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite innocent in itself, but God takes it personally. God hates it when we are given to complaining. God hates it when we are given to murmuring because among other things, what it does, it puts a blight on God's character. It questions God's goodness. It questions God's wisdom. It questions God's ability to keep us. It questions and brings into doubt the providence of God. It also brings into question the integrity of God, the fact that God, the idea that God cannot be trusted. And then we see further signs of Israel's rebellion in verses 28 through 39. And let me begin by saying, by reaffirming, we have said this before, that whenever we read passages like these, we are to see ourselves in a real sense here being described. Because the very sins which God brought 
to the fore here in this psalm are sins to which you and I are most prone. You say, what are we talking about? Look at what the people did. Verse 28, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. At sacrifices offered to the dead, they provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and so on and so forth. We don't have time to go back over these verses, but in a nutshell, what was happening here, the people were falling in line with the culture. They were assimilating with the heathen. They were assimilating with the surrounding nations. And what happened in so doing, they actually began to adopt their religious practices. We're told in verse 29, because of their complicit attitude, because of their compromising attitude with idolatry, with fraternizing with the nations, the Bible says they provoke the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. And verse 30, then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. Earlier we saw Moses intervening by way of intercession, praying for them. And God stayed his hand of judgment. Now we have another, inter, per, another person intervening. This time not interceding. But carrying out God's disciplining purpose. God's purpose of judgment upon the people. We are told Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. Um, to refresh our memories, if you know what happened in this, this incident, when Balak was trying to curse Israel and he realized that he was not going to be successful using the prophet Balaam, every time the prophet Balaam attempted to curse God, the king, of course, offered him high wages to do so. God simply deterred Balaam from doing that. Balaam came up with this quote-unquote smart plan where he went to the king of Balak and he suggested, you know, the way we're going to get these people to be judged by God, for God to really judge them, is to, listen, let's allure them, let's entice them with these Moabite women. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, recalls this incident. He says, we should not test, put God to the test, we should not practice these sins. And he says this, we should not be like Israel whom God overthrew in the wilderness. One of the men was so brazen in his act of sin that here's what happened. Here's what Phineas did. He went into the, into the tabernacle where, where, where this man was, carrying out his sinful activity, and he took a spear and thrust it right into the heart of the man and this woman. The Bible says the plague was stayed. And the Bible says it was accounted to him as righteousness. Here was a man who had a zeal for God. He would not tolerate sin. Why? Because he had the heart of God with respect to sin. We're told how that verse 32, they angered Moses at Meribah. They angered him. They provoked him. The account of this incident cited by the psalmist is found in Numbers 20, 1 to 13. The people of Israel were at this time in the wilderness of Zin, camping at Kadesh. They had no water. 
And we're told in verses 2 and 3, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. You see how ungrateful they were. They completely forgot the grace of God, how God was with them, how God spared them, how God provided for them all along throughout their years in the wilderness. And on and on they went with their murmuring, with their complaining. In verse 5, verse 5 says, They grumbled, Why have you come up out of Egypt? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. How unreasonable, how ungrateful these people were. And so distressing, so annoying was their clamor, their murmuring, their complaining to Moses and Aaron that, you know, the Bible tells us Moses was angry. He was furious. He was livid. It was too much for him. It was then that the Lord instructed Moses to take his staff to speak to the rock before the people to bring forth water, Numbers 20 and verse 8. And of course, Moses did take his staff, as the Lord had told him. But in what follows, Moses, in anger, in wrath, acted contrary to what God had told him to do. Because verses 10 and 11 of Numbers 20 tells us, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock with his hand twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Moses was so angry. Here's what he did. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And he struck it more than once. And that was not his only sin. He struck the rock and he spoke ill of the people of God. The psalmist says he spoke rashly. It made, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. The Hebrew word that's translated spoke can also mean stuttered or stammered. Suggesting that Moses was in such a fit of rage that the words could hardly come out. He, he was there stuttering. And of course, we are told, he, by his own admission earlier, that he was slow of speech. Imagine a man who is given to stammering, who is slow of speech, when he's angry. In any event, the suggestion here is that he acted out of sheer impulse. The King James Version says he acted unadvisedly. With his lips. Contrary to Nehemiah, who when he was angry, Nehemiah said, I consulted with myself. He consulted with himself and took that good advice from his contemplation. Moses, by contrast, spoke unadvisedly. This suggests how angry he was. He did not take time to weigh, to evaluate his words, his actions, and the consequence of his words. And his action, he simply gave full vent to bitterness of spirit. 
According to one lexicon, the idea is that he spoke with defiant disregard of the consequences or in a hasty, foolish manner. He not only called the people of God rebels, he was not only acting in a derogatory manner toward them, calling them rebels. But by his very question, his question suggested that he was the one providing water for them. Must we, must we, must Aaron and I provide water for you? In fact, God is going to later say how that because he did not glorify God, that was the reason why God did not allow him to enter the promised land. That cost him. And with such angry, impulsive behavior, Moses clearly did not act wisely as suggested by Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. What does Proverbs 12, 18 say? There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Moses' rash speech turned out to have been costly for him. We have to watch anger. And we have to watch what we say when we are angry. Because many angry words have been spoken only to bring about hurt, deep hurts, which can last for quite a long time. And not only that, break relationships. We have it in the home. At times, people can be harsh. It cost Moses. The psalmist says there in verse 32 of Psalm 106, it went ill with Moses on their account. Also, as we said, he was forbidden from leading the people of Israel into the promised land. Verse 20 of Numbers, verse 12 of Numbers 20 tells us, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Watch anger. Watch anger. In this incident of Moses losing his temper, we get some idea as to how dangerous a thing is uncontrolled anger. What a sobering lesson we have here for Christian leaders, for pastors, those who lead the church of God. The Bible has much to say about the temperament of those who would lead the church of God. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 says that an overseer must not, among other qualifications, he must be above reproach, sober-minded. Here it comes, self-controlled. Verse 3 says that he must not be violent. In fact, the word in the Greek suggests he must not be pugnacious, must not be ready to throw fists. He must not be quarrelsome, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 7. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. In fact, Paul counsels Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Here's what Paul says. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Sometimes people get into quarrels. Why? Out of foolishness, arguing over foolishness, nonsense. And here's what Paul says, 1 Timothy 2, verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. In short, what all of this means is that he must learn to hold his temper. He must learn to stay under control. A Christian leader cannot be the kind of person who is impulsive, easily offended, ready to fly the handle. You must be one, for example, who can take criticism. And that's a hard thing, right? That's a hard thing. But you must be able to take criticism, whether justly or unjustly, and do so with proper judgment, with proper control of self. Now, many an elder could speak at length or write volumes about very difficult people in the body of Christ. Moses faced that, those kind of people. Sometimes there will be in churches some of the most difficult and unruly people. As we said last time, people who have a hard time recognizing, submitting to leadership, sometimes problematic issues arise among leaders themselves where anger comes into play and gets out of control. One of the most distressing things, believe it or not, many times we hear of instances in churches where things become ugly, turning into nasty fights and church splits. The Word of God does recognize a challenge that church leaders potentially face from unruly congregants and so admonishes the believers in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping. Watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. On this matter of anger, this goes not just for church leaders, but for every Christian. The Word of God admonishes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, verses 26, 27, Paul writes there, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We give an opportunity to the devil when we are given to anger and when we lose control of ourselves, when we do not handle our anger constructively. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So a person cannot say, well, you know, that's how I am. I'm not the kind of person who stands for foolishness. I will, you know, lose it, and that's just my temperament. No, 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 that's not how it works. What then is the lesson we can take away this afternoon? Particularly on this matter of Moses blowing it of Moses losing his cool, of Moses paying the consequence of uncontrolled anger. Well, to begin with, we, know, we learn here the high standard, the high standard to which God holds those who are in position of leadership. From the incident at Meribah, it is interesting to note that whereas the people angered Moses, whereas they angered Moses, 
the Lord held Moses personally accountable for his lack of self-control. Luke 12, verse 48, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The point is those who are in leadership are held to a high standard. Ours is a responsibility by the Spirit of God, by the grace and power of God to control our anger rather than letting it control us. And then finally, we learn from this account how the strong areas of our lives can soon become points of weakness and failure. What was Moses' strength? The Bible tells us that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. What is meekness? Meekness is strength under control. You remember when his sister Miriam and Aaron were really challenging his authority and how he just remained calm. He was meek. And when God promised him, listen, I'm going to do this to, to Moses. I'm going to do this to Miriam. He cried out to God on behalf of Miriam when God told him, I'm going to destroy this nation, make of you a great nation. He says, no, Lord. Here's what. He was self-effacing. He was meek. He was the meekest man in all the earth. We see that in Numbers 12, verse 3. And yet, here it was. He failed in the very area of his strength. This certainly is a lesson for us. That is why we read in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. We need to watch disgruntlement. We need to watch discontent. We need to watch errors in which we are knowingly disobedient to God while excusing ourselves. If we are murmuring, if we are complaining... It is a sin. If we are given to anger and if we are given to speaking anything that comes immediately out of our mouths, that's sinful. And we must, by the grace of God, seek God's grace and strength to overcome. Of course, who is sufficient for these things? It's not us, but God by his spirit at work in and through us. May God grant that these things will be so in our lives for his name's sake. Amen.